The information depicted in this podcast is purely for informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional before making any changes to your lifestyle or routine. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Boost Your Biology podcast. My name is Lucas, and I'm the founder of Ergogenic Health. Together in this podcast series, we will go underground to explore cutting-edge health and human performance insights that you simply cannot search on Google to help you upgrade your existence. So without any further ado, let's jump into today's episode. Hey everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of the Boost Your Biology podcast. I'm your host, Lucas, and today joining me is a friend of mine uh, from Melbourne as well. Uh, Her name's Holly Sinclair. And um, yeah, we're here to talk about all things health, um, mostly focusing on women's health in particular. Um, And obviously, I'll chime in and and put my two bobs worth in every now and then. Um, but yeah, thanks for joining me today, Holly. It's my pleasure. It's my, um, for those of you who don't know, Lucas and I are allied when it comes to swapping out the men to the women clients. So I call him the sperm man. <laughs> for those wondering why, uh, that's, that's in reference to my, um, you know, encouragement of icing the gonads for the guys. Listening, um, to I always tell, I always tell my female clients who are trying to conceive, listen, you need to send your bloke to go see Lucas because this is a 50, 50 job sister. Yeah. <laughs> so do you want to tell my, my audience a little bit about you, your journey, maybe a little bit about like, yeah, how you got to where you are today? Yeah. I mean, I'll keep it. I'll keep it brief because I know we've got a lot to go through today from a educational perspective. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm obviously specialising in women's health now, but that's been the end byproduct of a 15 year career in health and fitness. Um, so these things certainly don't happen overnight, as you and I both know. Um, and I think I ended up specialising with women and specifically like young women in the bracket of 25 to 35 year olds. Uh, one, because that's my age bracket, but also, you know, my own personal experience of having PCOS myself, having amenorrhea, having an eating disorder, having mental health issues, having uh, addiction problems myself. Um, it just made the most sense for me to then obviously try and help those who are in similar circumstances um, because I just think, and I know we're going to get into this today, but I just think that the, what the healthcare system provides is a load of shit. Like that's just my blunt opinion. And that's through both my personal and now professional experience, um, working with people that are are going through a lot of these really, I like to call them like, we don't knows the, we don't know problems, you know, um, of things like polycystic ovarian syndrome or loss of cycle, amenorrhea, or, you know, irritable bowel syndrome or chronic fatigue syndrome or, you know, and uh, a good tutor of mine uh, or mentor of mine, sorry, said anything that ends in a syndrome just basically means they don't know. 
And I 100% agree with that. Um, And, yeah, so now I've just sort of ended up specialising and working with people with the I don't knows um, and really getting some good results with a lot of women that I work with now because it's it's all about transitioning them into a a healthier and more sustainable lifestyle effectively. Mm. Um, Mm. And we'll get into that today, but... Yeah, that that doesn't just mean nutrition. And I think this is where the wellness industry goes wrong, right? Because the wellness industry is all about monotherapies. It's like, got to be vegan, got to be carnivore, got to do intermittent fasting, got to do this, got to do that. And it's like, well, those mononutritions are great, but they're not great long-term. And it's about understanding when to use certain modalities um, nutritionally specifically, but then also adding in things like spirituality or training capacities or um, physiological support with things like chiropractic and physiotherapy and, and fascial release. And so my point is like when you're working with a, with a person who has one of those I don't know um, diagnoses, Yes, it's important to support them from a nutritional standpoint, but it's also important to understand all the other aspects of healing. And that's, I guess, where I differ, I would say, from other coaches. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, like with the, it's funny how we label um, healthcare as healthcare when really it's, it's sick care, isn't it? Ultimately? Yeah. Like, yeah, 100%, man. And like, it's super frustrating because everything that both yourself and myself and our colleagues put out there, it's not to, it's never to like demoralize somebody who's going through that. Let's just call it the sick care system. Right. Um, but it's more about like offering them a different perspective and, and also, and like, I think I had this conversation with a uh, mentee of mine the other day. I think that at the real issue of it is that what we suggest is personal responsibility and in a victim-based society that doesn't really sit well with a lot of people um, because the current model of healthcare, sick care, is you don't have to take responsibility for your health. Mm. You just take this pill (laughs) and if it doesn't work, come back and then maybe we'll cut something out of you. And if that doesn't work, well, maybe we'll, we'll give you another pill. But it's like, well, hold up. How, why don't you just like take a breath and think about what are some things that you can do to ensure that your health is improving? And that's where I guess like there's a little bit of contention from, well, certainly like I get a lot of um, criticism uh, for what I do. I don't know about you with trolls and stuff, but yeah, I mean, it's not my intention to demoralise people. It's just I want to awaken them to what is possible because I've experienced it. Yeah. I yeah. went through the system, you yeah. know, and it didn't fucking work, mm-hmm. right? It only actually made me worse. Um, and through the support of people around me, I was able to sort of start navigating a different uh, road to go down. Um, and here I am now, like, fucking thriving at 31, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's funny. Obviously, like I can relate to that as well. Like the system sort of failed me, um, and I guess the real reason is because, like, of, like sick care, where they, they completely depart the fact that prevention is the ultimate medicine, right? Because obviously, yeah, 
with the way that, with the way that they go about treating patients right now. Obviously, it's very reductionist and very symptom based and suppress the symptoms. Um, whereas what we do um, in this whole wellness space is that we're trying to really um, support people with their pre- um, prevention strategies and just to increase overall wellness to pre- you know to mitigate these diseases. So. Yeah, I guess that's one thing that we, you know, we love to do. We love to share information and empower people. Yeah. To, you know, take control of their health and beyond it's, just nutrition as well. For sure, right? Um, it's super bizarre though because when you really like look at it at a sim- simplistic level, 80% of chronic diseases, I may, it might even be more now, but 80% are, are metabolic. Yeah. Like... <laughs> So, like, you just look at that and you go, well, if it's metabolic, then surely if I intervene with what I'm putting into my body, uh, that's going to improve my chances of not experiencing a chronic disease. Mm. But that's, like, too simple for people to understand, you know. And I think I was actually thinking about this last night. I don't know why. I think about some weird shit in my spare time. but I was thinking about like, you know, when, when you see, especially through social media now, right, that a lot of these Western practitioners, and mind you, I've got a lot of colleagues who are Western practitioners. I, I love them. I think they're super beneficial, right? But there are some outliers who really hate people like you and I, like yeah. they hate us, yeah? And they are the ones that always put out these really like nasty um, social media posts, you know, one that comes to mind is a heart surgeon put up a, uh, Instagram post saying the only benefit to Mark Hyman's books would be to wipe your ass with it. And I'm just like, and what's ironic is that from what I know, the people I look up to like the Mark Hyman's, like the Dardis Karazian's, like the Tom O'Brien's, they don't, they don't post stuff like that. They're just out there trying to, as you said, empower and educate. So you really start to see, like, I think what I'm trying to get to is, like, they're super threatened as well because, like, through prevention is a lack of need for them. Um, And they don't know how to handle it. And our friend Olivia Orkowski, she makes a good point, and she said this to me uh, months ago, for a very long time, doctors have always been the smartest people in the room, but now they're not. And they don't know how to handle that anymore, right? When, to be honest, Holly, who's technically only a PT, comes in and actually knows more about gut health than you do, well, (laughs) they get super threatened and they start to make these really nasty comments. So I think... um, if you're an audience member of ours and you see some of that stuff, just think to yourself, is that actually empowering and educating somebody or is this just like a pissing contest? Because if it comes across like that, they probably aren't the best person for your health journey. Mm. Definitely, definitely. Anyway, I can get on tangents. <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> Let's shift gears, shall we? <laughs> I mean, you're, you're, you're very real um, and I guess like there'll be people listening in who'll be... 100% aligning with what you just said. Um, and, you know, the whole ego gets involved, particularly with these with these Western, you know, or traditional doctors, things like that. It gets a bit of a, 
you know, there is a lot of tension because really if we, like you said, empower people with the tools and, you know, the supplements and nutrition and the other lifestyle strategies to really optimize their their overall health and, you know, their, their need for the, for the medications and, and, um, and their, and their treatment is going to be reduced. So obviously there's, having said that though, I really think, um, there are more and more Western practitioners, Western doctors that are coming on board that are supportive of what we do. Um, and so I don't know, what, what do you feel like you, how do you see the future? Like, how do you see things progressing like in the next, maybe like five to 10 years? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, like I just said, I have a lot of Western medicine practitioners that I work with. I actually couldn't do what I do if I didn't have them in my corner, yeah. right? Because they obviously provide um, things like blood scripts and um, a lot of my testing goes through one GP in particular because he really appreciates the preventative side of things. But um, with saying that, and knowing that there are some, you know, really progressive practitioners out there, I still think it's so minimal. Mm. Like I really do. And um, as you know, there's that famous research paper which shows that the average piece of scientific literature takes 17 years to become normal and to hit our GP's desks. Mm. So even the literature that's being taught right now in medical schools, and that's a whole other conversation because considering what's happened this year with the pandemic, a lot of these students aren't in hospitals like they should be and they're not in doctor's um, surgeries like they should be learning as part of their degree. So now the, the, the next wave of medical um, professionals are really going to be on the back foot because they haven't been given that same opportunity to be on the front line as part of their degree due to this pandemic, which is pretty fucked up when you think about it. Mm. Um, but, in so, yeah, so the literature being taught right now is still <laughs> not going to be um, the norm for another 17 years. You know, and like you would definitely, I would presume you would have a much more articulate way of uh, explaining this from a research perspective, but there's over like um, 28 million research papers on PubMed, 28 million. So, and the reality is no one is going to have a grasp across all of those papers, right? So how many, except for Lucas, (laughs) but like how, (laughs) so like how, how much information is actually being missed, right? Because often that's the argument. Oh, there's no research for what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Well, yes, there is. (laughs) There's plenty of research, but it just gets missed in the process. So I don't really think much is going to change over the next five to seven years. Unfortunately, I actually think due to this year, and the the um, strain on the public health care system and, you know, that really fear-invoking narrative that's come across, I think it's going to get worse, to be honest, because people are still very mainstream, you know, and that's across the board. That's healthcare, media, politics. People are still very, very mainstream in their, in their thinking and processing. So that's my yeah. opinion. Yeah, I think at least one 
positive thing will definitely come out of this whole pandemic. And like, obviously it's up to us to really vocalize this, but that's like to really understand that, you know, things, things as simple as like your vitamin D status and like um, your metabolic uh, flexibility, your ability to, um, you know, your glucose tolerance, things like that. These are paramount to maintain yeah. good health. And now we're seeing links to that and the virus and, and, you know, worse disease outcome in those that have low vitamin D, things like that. But I want to segue on to something else. We sort of, you sort of touched on, um, you know, blood testing and things like that. And we can, we can sort of go down a bit of a rabbit hole in regards to um, uh, the, the, reference, the reference ranges for oh, yeah. certain blood tests, you know, and like how, how we, um, you know, the most common response that, that, you know, we get from people that we work with is, that, oh, my doctor said my results were fine. Like they were in the normal range. It was it was fine. My TSH was one point zero point five. Yeah, it was ridiculous. <laughs> um, so obviously, like, I mean, do you think that's again? That's probably going to be difficult to for the like Western system to to change. But do you feel like um, there's more and more people talking about? you know, the fact that there are these optimal ranges, things like that? Yeah. Um, I don't think there's more people talking about optimal ranges. I think um, the, the issue is is that those medical ranges are determined based off a bell curve mm. and a bell curve of our society, right? So, so though, I mean, when I started doing bloods um, seven years ago now, for example, fasting insulin, the medical range was zero to 15. Well, now it's zero to 22. That high. So, so, goes up to 22. Yeah. yeah. So that medical range has increased over the last seven years since I've been doing this. Mm. And that's and that's just one example of many markers, but that's because the average of society is getting metabolically worse and worse and worse. And so the way in which they gather those ranges, they have to accommodate to that average, right? Um and for me, like, I just look at that and I think far out, man, because, you know, for anyone listening, the optimal range is under five. Okay. And if you're over 10.5, you have insulin resistance. Yes. Um, so if we look at that and we think, okay, well, someone goes to their doctor and their fasting insulin is now 20, their doctor's going to say, oh, you're fine. It's like, no, this dude has serious type 2 diabetes, um, which is probably playing into a host of health issues, particularly yeah. like neurological symptoms, right, and metabolic markers. And, and so, the, thing, the thing is with that, if it's that high, that can be elevated before their glucose changes. That's the other thing. Correct. They don't even acknowledge that. that you know, correct. That, so it could look, look all normal, but... Exactly. And most, most, you know, most standard blood tests are not going to test fasting insulin either. And so this is the other thing, right? So, you know, um, it's pretty concerning when it comes to, to the blood side of things. I mean, I just, I've got a client today who I'm going through her blood work with her and she, um, her vitamin D is minus 10. That could be negative. Oh, sorry, under 10, under 10. Okay. Right. Like they didn't even get a ref, a reading for it. It's so low. Jeez. Right. So, and her doctor said her bloods were fine. 
so bad. And I'm just like, what the fuck? Like sometimes I feel like I'm living in the twilight zone, yeah. right? But um, And she also has EBV. Her, her doctor said her bloods were fine, right? So I'm like, what the hell is going on, right? Um, but, yeah, I mean the, the answer here is either training up the medical community a little bit better or um, which I don't think is going to happen, unfortunately, because, you know, they're looking for a disease. And why are they looking for a disease? Because that requires then some form of pharmaceutical intervention. And I know for a fact that in Australia, right, this isn't an American thing. The doctor that I use and have, and I've used other doctors as well to help me with getting bloods, he gets taken out for two free lunches every week by pharmaceutical reps. So this is happening in Australia. It's not just an American thing where pharmaceutical companies literally buy doctors. So like, you know, we've got to think about where the agenda is when it comes to some of these um, test reports, but that's why to be fair, like I'm really starting to steer away from blood panels um, just because also like, with my clients, uh, if they can't access my GP, the feedback I get from them trying to get blood panels done, like it's traumatic for some of them. Traumatic? Yeah, because they'll go into a doctor's office with my blood script and the doctor will just be like, these are unnecessary, you're fine, like who is this person? Like, you know, like it's it's crazy out there because it comes back to that ego Mm. um issue right like you know i specialize with women with things like amenorrhea and picos and endometriosis and most of the time they can't even get their sex hormones tested that's ridiculous right so for me i'm starting to shift away from having to rely on the system and um i use pathology centers where the page the patient can actually order it directly yeah um so like neutropath um in victoria is one of those places and they do everything but blood blood testing. So they do stool testing and salivary testing and urine testing and genetic testing and mm. and that's still gonna give me enough data um, to be able to support that client without the blood the blood panel. But yeah. I don't know if that answered your question. <laughs> I wanna um, obviously I wanna delve deeper into like um, like PCOS, amenorrhea, dysmenorrhea, yeah. what's considered normal. Um, yeah. let's say like, let's say, uh, women of the age between maybe like 18 to like 30, you know, mm-hmm. how common is like a, a period issues and like menstru- menstruation issues? Well, one, um, one research paper, <clears throat> this is relevant to the contraceptive pill, but, um, it showed that 58% of users were using the contraceptive pill for non-contraceptive re- reasons. Right. So, yeah. So for things like period pain, um, amenorrhea, polycystic ovarian syndrome, endometriosis, pain management. Um, so if we, if we take that data, we're probably looking at 58%, right? We're probably saying there's quite a lot of girls dealing with a lot of, um, reproductive health issues. Um, and you know, I, I tend to, attract clients who have just transitioned off contraception and are now looking for some support around those, um, reproductive health issues. Or, you know, I've, 
I don't really attract clients who are quite stoic in staying on contraception, I guess is my point, right? Um, but even after the fact of coming off a lot of those Band-Aid fixes, you've actually made the problem worse by that point because you've exacerbated inflammatory markers, you've stopped ovulation from happening, so you've lost all of those really beneficial sex hormones, especially during those um, really formative years, right? Like when you're looking at a woman from 18, her ovaries are still quite formative, her brain is quite formative. Um, So a lot of those pharmaceutical interventions can unfortunately long-term make a lot of these problems worse. Um, So it's really common. It's really common for for people to go through PCOS and amenorrhea. I mean, I had amenorrhea for three years. And Um, in your case, that was due to some pretty extreme like dieting and and things like that. Yeah. And, you know, so for me, like um, I was vegan at the time. I was incredibly under eating um, and I was obsessively running like cardio bunny. Um, and, you know, I went through the, the healthcare system. I got sent to a specialist. They checked my ovaries and then they told me at the age of 18 that I had to remove one of my ovaries. There was so many, yeah, there was so many cysts on it. And I'm fortunate that my mom is quite alternative and she was like, hell no, this is not going to happen. Right. But you know, when I reflect back on that moment and you get told that you're infertile and you're never going to have children and you're going to have to rely on the pill for the rest of your life, like it's pretty demoralizing. Um, but yeah, these things are really common. And I think like one of the biggest concerns that I have is when a client starts with me and they say, oh, my, I got diagnosed with PCOS. Yep. My first question is what type? Mm. And they never know. Mm. They never know what type of PCOS they have, right? So who's, who's giving the diagnosis? Their regular GP is, is yeah, GP. So they've just said you've got PCOS, and then yeah, and then what? Well, then it's like, well, I mean, I just had a client start with me this week. Who's um, this is a great in- story. This is the type of story I always get. She got her full blood panel done. Went to see the GP. Um, she's got cystic acne and amenorrhea. She, GP said, based off your symptoms, um, and she's got very high fasting insulin, uh, based off your symptoms and your insulin, I think you've got PCOS. So the, the option is the pill. And this client said, I don't want to go on the pill. So what other options are there for me? And also this client said, why, why is that? What's that DHEA marker on my bloods? Because it was really high. And the doctor says, oh, I don't know what that means. Hang on, let me just Google it. No way. Googled it in front of her (laughs) and said, oh, yeah, this makes sense. That's probably why you've got cystic acne because it's an androgen. Wow. (laughs) What? And at that point, this client said into herself, okay, I'm going to find somebody else to work with, right? Um, But that's a really... Yeah, I mean that's 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 usually the scenario. The GP is doing the diagnostic, and they might get sent off for an ultrasound. But we know now that using just an ultrasound for diet, you can't use that for as a diagnostic tool anymore. So in order to have a proper diagnosis of PCOS, you have to have um, elevated testosterone, elevated fasting insulin, 
ultrasound um, and a 45-day-plus cycle. So you have to technically have amenorrhea, and that always gets forgotten as well. And, and, and ovulation as well? Like they, they're not ovulating? Is that right? Is that right? Um, they could be, but it might be incredibly delayed right. ovulation. Mm. Um, so if they're getting like a 45- to 50-day cycle, and, and this is the other thing as well, like we would have to like be be charting them and, and really looking at some of those biofeedback markers to assess if they were ovulating using things like blood markers like FSH and LH ratios um, to determine and if there's any progesterone present, right? But um, it's all just dependent on the individual. But that's usually the, the four things that you need yeah. for a PCOS diagnosis, which, you know, it's, it's very rare that, that those four things get met. Yeah, so then obviously some women would have like maybe one of four, two of four, and then obviously the, the treatment protocol would differ. Um, yes. As in like you'd need to structure that. But what, what, do the, like what do the GPs currently do in terms of age? Just the pill. So how, where's the... <laughs> the pill or metformin. So one of those two, okay. Usually both. So Okay. Yeah. And like the, the thing, the irony, I mean, I know you're the, the pharmaceutical dude, so you could probably actually add far more information than me on this, but, um, you know, the irony with metformin is it fucks your E. coli. Okay. So it really impacts the E. coli in your colon Mm. and E. coli is necessary for B7 absorption and B7 helps us to tolerate glucose. Yep. (laughs) Actually, we're talking about, um, biotin. Yeah, sorry, biotin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, I actually re- recently read a paper on um, very, very high dose biotin reversing type one diabetes. There you go. Using, I know they were using massive doses, but and I've I've actually experimented with biotin at really high dose before bed. And yeah, that was not a good idea because. Um, <laughs> Because it drops the sugars so rapidly, you get uh, you get nightmares because it's you know you ah. get hypoglycemia throughout the night. Ah, interesting. Yeah, but but so so you know you start to think, well, if we know that, right? Why aren't we just suggesting that these people supplement with B, with a B complex? That, that sort of information, <laughs> like to acquire that sort of knowledge, you know, I'm 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 in these underground forums where like you need like ridiculous codes to enter into like (laughs) underground studies that's what like and even with like like other vitamins and things like that there's so much information that's just not put forward um Mm. and that's a great yeah i mean there's this great book um that got written over a decade ago called drug muggers i don't know if you've heard of it by a woman called Susie cohen um she's a pharmacist and she basically this whole book is like here's the medication Here's what it depletes. Ah, uh, cool. Ah, uh, that's cool. It's phenomenal. What's that called? Um, drug muggers. Drug muggers. So that's something that I, you know, have used for over a decade now, and it's still very relevant today. Mm. Um, you know, and then you just start to see. I mean, we're going a bit off track here from PCOS, but you start to see, like, okay, so someone's using the birth control pill to manage this syndrome, which, to be honest, um, and this is going to be very controversial. But I think majority of people with a PCOS syndrome, it's all bullshit. Like that's my honest feedback. It's because they're unhealthy. 
you're unhealthy and but you're unhealthy. May, not, but they may look healthy. They may look from a lean perspective, okay. <laughs> right? So, okay, so you might be lean. Okay. Um, but, you know, you're dealing with chronic inflammation, you, yeah. you're dealing with gut permeability, you're dealing with, you know, super inflammatory food groups. Mm. Um, and this has just unfortunately created a, a host of symptoms which we now call polycystic ovarian syndrome. Um, and, yes, that might lead to the formation of cysts. But just a side note, you know, Lara Bryden is the, the queen when it comes to this inflammation. But everyone has cysts. Not me. So because so, basically what they're referring to is follicles. Um, and the whole issue with using an ultrasound as a diagnostic, especially when you're young, you can one cycle have quite a lot present on your ovaries, but then the next cycle you might not have that many present. And so if you decide to go in and get an ultrasound on the, uh, on the fortunate month that you have a lot present on your ovaries, well, then you'll get a diagnostic diagnosis of PCOS, right? So why, um, for the people, why are these forming in the first place? What, why are they even... So there's a couple of school of thoughts. Um, there is the whole androgen um, yeah. dominant. Co- uh, dominant conversation, and that's exacerbated by an excess amount of um, insulin in the blood. Yeah, yeah. So the biochemical reaction is insulin sort of triggers that androgen dominance, and then you start to get that cyst formation. Yeah. But then also if you actually just look at the processing of calcification, right, um, cortisol, when in excess, increases calcification, Mm. okay? So that's why, and this is like a little bit of a tangent, but if we look at a cyst, that's a form of calcification. If we look at people with really poor um, biomechanic movements, like stiff joints, that's calcification issues, right? Um, If you look at issues like bone density, that's a calcification problem. If you're looking at low vitamin D, that's a calcification problem. But that can all be exacerbated by high cortisol. Right. So, you know, maybe the issue is you're stressed. Yeah. And why are you stressed? Well, because maybe life is tough, right? So that's definitely, especially at the moment, right, 2020 is fucked up. Um, But you could be stressed because you're eating gluten, and you have an underlying gluten intolerance that you're not aware of because the way that it actually presents in your body is through your cerebellum, yeah. through your ability to actually have good cognitive function. Yeah. And because that's not digestive, you go, oh, well, I'm fine with gluten. Yeah. Meanwhile, you, you're fucking bumping into walls and <laughs> you can't remember what word to say and, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so, and that's a stressor. That's one stressor, sure, yeah. one so then you've got alcohol, sugar, dairy, medications, toxic load, you know, products that you put on your skin, lack of sleep, yeah. um, under eating. Under eating is a huge stressor, right? And how many women under eat? Like we all do it, right? Um, and, you know, I've got this theory that that's why, you know, you see far more problems of the thyroid in women than you do in men. Yeah. Because we fucking constantly under eat. And which, right? and which food group in particular? Like of which? Oh, like, meat. Yeah. yeah we also, just don't eat enough meat or fats. Yeah, yeah. You know, like so, you know, especially things like, you know, when we look at the thyroid, let's go on another tangent. We look at the thyroid, you need iodine, selenium, vitamin D, zinc, chromium. Yeah. Where are you going to get tyrosine? 
where are you going to get these things from? You're going to get them from really good quality animal proteins, yep. seafoods, lots of good quality fats. Uh, and then, but then, but then to get those things to your thyroid, you have to have a properly functioning gut. Yes. Now, what's going, why would your gut not be functioning? Because maybe you've got stress issues and stress lowers your immune system and 70% of the immune system's in the gut lining, right? So now all of a sudden the gut becomes super vulnerable to hyperpermeability, to bacterial infections, to parasitic infections, and that then blocks your ability to absorb. So you could be eating paleo, but you're still not getting results because you actually haven't done further investigation to what's going on within the gut lining. Right. right. And, and, and like, this is why testing is beneficial. So if my whole process with a client is let's start with the foundations. Let's start with food, <laughs> sleep, water, that's it. And movement, right? Because that gets super neglected, even in the Eastern world. <clears throat> like I don't, I know you're, you're sort of in your final year of naturopathy, but a lot of my experience with people going through those types of clinics is it's a, an array of supplementation, but it's never like reverse dieting them straight off the bat, right? So, and I'm a big pro supplement taker, yeah? But my point is like we have to start with the foundations and then yeah, after two to three months, if you're not improving, then we need to further investigate. Then we need to rely on that added supplement support. Yeah. You know what I mean? I agree. Um, so, yeah, you can see it's, it's all interconnected. Oh, yeah. But when you go into a GP's office, <laughs> they've got five minutes. So to, to, to be fair to them, they are at the mercy of the system as well. Yeah, it's not their fault. It really isn't. It's it, not their fault. It's not, right? And, and we have created this narrative that when you go in there, you expect a result walking out. Okay, yeah. True. So you go to the doctor and that doctor is expected to fix you within five minutes. So what are they going to do? They're going to use things that provide some form of a solution. Immediate. Immediate. Right. What are the consequences of that? The immediate. (laughs) That's the whole point, right? That immediate suppression will cause dysfunction somewhere else. And then let's find some solution to the other problem that's just arisen. Yeah. Yeah. It's so wild, man. And, you know, and I used to say this when I worked in the fitness industry, I used to say this to my um, trainers that I managed all the time. We actually have more power than any other healthcare professional, a personal trainer. You know why? More power to influence. You know why? Because we are the only industry that sees you every week. We see you every week for a session, right? So how how much power do you have to influence? Huge. How often does someone see their GP? Like what? Once every maybe two to three months? Yeah. I mean, personally, I haven't gone through the healthcare system in 12 years. So, um, (laughs) but I would imagine that the normal is maybe three to four months. You would see your GP for something. Like, and that's for five to seven minutes, Mm. right? So the power to influence is huge from a personal training perspective. And I really do think that gets overlooked. And that's why it's so important when you're working within this health and wellness industry, whether it be as a lifestyle coach, as a personal trainer, as a health coach or whatever, 
it's, it's up to you to upskill and it's up to you to like, um, self teach and really get some good knowledge, base knowledge around preventative health measures, because you can really transform somebody's life. Um, and I think that gets, yeah, super overshadowed. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, what about the whole like premise on like staying within your scope of practice? I find that's probably one of the hardest things, um, knowing when to refer because yeah. that's, that is, that's a challenge and I'm sure you've seen yeah. it with clients. Yeah. Uh, and like, at what point do you need to, you know? Yeah. I think, um, like to that point, I think that's why it's so important to leave your ego at the door and actually create a really good collaborative community of like-minded health professionals. Um, and that's one thing I've done. I I feel like I've done quite well. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, I, I, I refer people to you. I refer people to Lauren Curtin, who's my TCM girlfriend. I refer people to Jesse who does the charting. Like I, I know where my limitations are. Right. Um, but, uh, and this might, this probably goes against the whole not being egoic, but for me personally and professionally, I, I can't use pharmaceuticals, right? My, my personal and professional opinion is they're unnecessary in, in the context of supporting somebody's long-term health journey, not in the context of acute support yeah let's just make that disclaimer give us an example like if i'm in a car accident and my fucking leg comes off (laughs) give me the antibiotics (laughs) give me the morphine right but when i'm talking about like working with a client long term i can't use pharmaceuticals so i need to figure out another way using the body using the resources that the earth has provided us i need to figure that out right and so there is, there is a point where I, I don't really ever suggest to people to like go find a really good doctor that we can work alongside. To be fair, I actually don't because um, there is a part of me where I do feel like there can be too many chefs in the kitchen. Yeah. Um, and if I get to that point where I, I can't help that person anymore, I, just, I actually just move them on from working with me. Mm. Um, which I've done with clients, right? But I, I tend to not work coincidingly with practitioners. I just, yeah, it's just too much noise, man. Yeah, yeah. And, the, and the client gets confused. And this happens quite a lot like when they're seeing a naturopath and they're seeing a Chinese doctor and they're seeing me for coaching and they're seeing a personal trainer. And I'm like... <laughs> it's, it's too much. Yeah. You know, so you just have to, um, I think as the client, you have to be ready to just commit to one thing, mm. see it through. If it doesn't work for you, that's okay. But then you transition on to the next person. Um, as opposed to trying to like see every Bob, Jane, Dick and Harry. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously, you know, you want to encourage people to make like minimal changes, maybe like one to two things they focus on per maybe like for the next two weeks. Yeah. But obviously like for some people, um, 
you know, there's some people that want a lot all at once, whereas other people they want just like, you know, they need baby steps. They need like to be taught and told exactly what to do. So what do you find like to get the well, best results? Yeah. What, what works best? What have you seen work best? Um, the people who are like, start with me and they're like, yep, yeah, I'm going to do everything. I'm going to do the food guidelines. I'm going to put, you know, I'm going to start training every day. I'm going to do my journaling. Like, da, 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 da. um, they are going to be a disaster. They're the ones that it's interesting. Yeah. The ones that because come they're, the, they're so low dopamine <laughs> that they're like bulls out of the gate and then they'll literally just drop off. They'll yeah. hit three or four weeks and their dopamine is so low that they'll find the next thing and then they'll find the next thing. thing. So I actually love clients who are challenging from the day dot because I know that as long as they're showing up, Mm. I'm going to get them there. As long as you're showing up for our calls, slow and steady wins the race. Mm. But the, but I, I mean, I'm, I get mostly nervous with those really enthusiastic clients because I just know their neurochemistry is uh, not working in their favor at that point. And I think with those people, what I, what I always do is I actually don't allow them to do everything at once. Um, you know, it's like holding them back on the, on the lead almost because it, it's really important to get their neurochemistry to a point where they're a lot more settled and, um, you know, and, and you can sense it, you know, like when you're talking to a client and they're just like verbally diarrheaing to you, you're like, yo, <laughs> woo, sir. <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> Take a breath, <laughs> you know, because they, it's like, they're so, um, head dominant that they're actually, they're having like out of body experience at that point. Like they're not grounded at all. Mm. So you can, so it's just about being an established coach and knowing when to identify those clients and saying, you know what, I'm only going to give you one thing. Mm. And then those same clients will text me three days later. Oh, have you heard about this supplement? Oh, what about this supplement? Should I try this? Should I add this in? No. Stick to the guidelines. (laughs) You know, like I had one client start with me recently. She took a fat burner. She's super type A. She took a fat burner for breakfast. I said, that's got to go. And then I get a message two days later. Can I have a Barocca instead? <laughs> no. Yeah. You know, like it's it's just about being able to to be stoic with those clients and just say, calm your farm a little bit. Yeah. I want to sort of, um, sort of segue on to some of the some other big mistakes that you see people make um, like just when they're trying to heal or like maybe some, some, what about like mindset and limiting beliefs and things like that? Like, what do you think? It's um, huge, man. Yeah. yeah. It's huge. Like I had, um, uh, my brother actually asked me last night, what's my drop off rate with clients. And I actually have a really good retention. I think I've only ever, since I started the business, I think three people have finished up working with me two of which was because I moved them on to other practitioners, right? So I think there's only one client who finished up early with me. And um, I use her as an example because she had really bad constipation, like horrendous. Um, And she did, to her credit, she did the gut protocols. She did the nutrition guidelines. And we got to about four months and it just wasn't improving. And, um, 
you know, she had diantomyoba, which is a parasite in the colon, which causes a lot of constipation. Um, so, you know, that was, that was good for me to reiterate to her, like, it's a gut issue, like, let's keep going, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, <clears throat> she did all of that, um, got to four months and then I got a, I could sense that she was getting frustrated and I got a text message from her just saying, oh, I want to wrap things up. Like I haven't got any results. Now she never, ever got vulnerable with me ever. Like she never, ever, ever dropped her guard. Everything was structured and systematic and, yeah, I feel fine. Yeah, I feel fine. Yeah, I feel fine. <laughs> and I was, I was always trying to chip away at that layer with her, but I just couldn't penetrate it, right, which is um, I feel like I'm, I'm pretty good at that now. Like I've been in the game long enough to be able to get to that point with someone, but she was tough. And I use her as an example because literally constipation is the spiritual definition of holding on, (laughs) right? So, you know, yes, you've done all of the tangible um, things like gut protocols and nutritional guidelines and that sort of stuff. And we even did like some um, like pelvic floor exercises, all of that sort of stuff. But I just know it's, it was brain for her. Like it was, and, and I'm sure you see this a lot, but I really do feel like those types of clients, they're so subconsciously attached to Mm. the health problem. It's their identity. Yes, yes, yes. Right. And so when, even though they are consciously seeking help for it, Mm. they subconsciously are super attached to it. Because when, when a, a health issue is your identity, you are a victim to that health problem. And so every single relationship in your life is based off you being a victim to that health problem. So why would you change that? Like if, if it's still serving you from a victim perspective, whether that be people care for you, people pay you more attention, you know, you've got the problem, you know, all of those sorts of things. Well, why would you actually fix it? Mm. You know? So, and I think, um, that's pretty controversial to make a statement like that, but I do think it's a, it's actually a big, big issue for a lot of people is their, their identification with, with the problem. Um, you know, I, I had a client years ago who had POTS, um, which is an autoimmune disorder where you just faint. And, um, she had a lot of mental health issues. She actually was my first transgender client. She transitioned into, um, or was at the time transitioning into a man. So she had her breasts removed. She was starting, um, hormone replacement therapy, um, lots and lots of mental health issues. Um, she was in a same-sex relationship, but she'd birthed both of their daughters through IVF and there was so much shit going on, right? And um, she just wouldn't, she would do the nutrition and then she would stop because she was so attached to being that victim. Mm. Like she was so, she was, um, uh, South African as well. So she was dark skinned. So everything was about being this minority. Everything was about being this victim. Like I'm a black gay woman, I'm transitioning, like I've got mental health issues. 
and it was she was my most challenging client I've ever worked with because I just it's like when you when you st- when you stay attached to that victim state you're not going to get better. Mm. It's just not going to happen and that's why people love the system. That client for example loved the system. Always went to her specialist. You know why? Because they fucking perpetuate the victim story. Right? It's like mm. oh yeah, it's not your fault. Take this medication. What? <laughs> but people, but people like to be in that state, though, right? They don't actually want to heal. It's self sabotage, right? It, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. It's a weird. And you know, it's a we. It's weird, man. It's, it's so weird. weird. And like, um, you know, I had this conversation with a client of mine yesterday who's great. She's a fantastic girl, and she's a great client, and she's got some mental health issues. And she was expressing to me that she was super frustrated at herself because she couldn't commit to the food. And I said to her that, and I think this is really relevant for a lot of people, that when you're in a stressed state and you're in a state of chaos, whether that be your health or your relationships or your work or whatever it is, right, whatever the, the state of disease mm-hmm. it is, yeah. even though you're not enjoying it, yeah, it's familiar. It's the norm. So it's when something is comfy. familiar... That means it's comfortable because you understand it. So even though you're not feeling good and even though you're not enjoying your life in a weird fucking sadistic way, you keep doing it because you understand it. It's a familiar state. And in order to move away from that state, you have to get uncomfortable. Yep. And why the fuck would anyone want to get uncomfortable? That is literally like saying to our ego, peace, I'm out. (laughs) Right? So, and that's, I think that's really where the point of contention and frustration comes for a lot of people because, yeah, they, they, they subconsciously love the state that they're in. And when Holly or Lucas or whoever comes in and says, well, you need to do this, mm-hmm. you need to get uncomfortable, they rebel. They're like, hell no, <laughs> I'm not doing that. And you, you, you start to recognise good coaches when they are the ones that transition you through that process. Yes, it's going to hurt. Yes, it's going to be fucking disgusting. You're going to cry a lot. You're not going to enjoy how you're feeling. You're probably going to get a lot of die-off symptoms, yeah? But if you commit to it, you will feel so good <laughs> at the end that it'll all be worth it. But it's it's it's, it's just what was that? Short term pain, long term gain. That's it. That's it. That's it. You got to do the work, right? But that comes back to our original point when we were talking about the healthcare system. It's personal responsibility, it's right? Accountability, extreme ownership. That's it. That's it. So um, I don't even know how I got on that tangent, but (laughs) we got there somehow. Um, But yeah, it it is definitely a, um, it's a big, it's a big problem that, that attachment to the victim state. And and that's, I I understand how we got there now. That's why mindfulness is so important. Yeah. Because techniques like meditation and journaling, actually start to rewire your brain and they allow you to put some high level of awareness to what you're doing 
right? Um, you know, Sam Harris, all-time favourite. Like that guy is phenomenal when it comes to explaining the need for high-level consciousness, right? Um, and, you know, journaling, especially for women, journaling is beneficial because what I don't know about men, I can only talk about women, but what us gals like to do is we have these like neurotic stories in our brain. Like we're like, this bitch did this and then she's going to do that and now I'm going to go there and then right? And we like start to like catastrophize things that haven't even happened. Like that's a girl thing, yeah? Yeah. But when you journal and you put put that story that's happening in your head pen to paper, you can actually tangibly look at that story and go, what the fuck? (laughs) Like this is not the truth, right? And so that's where you start to create so much more awareness around your thoughts and around what you're telling yourself and how wrong it actually is, you know? Um, so yeah, mindfulness is a huge part of the health journey. And, and it's, I would say it's arguably the number one reason why people don't heal. Mm. It really is the foundation. It really is before any intervention. It's like you must encourage people to first develop that, that sense of awareness because <clears throat> then how are you ever going to be able to understand the impact of any other intervention on top of it? It's like, yeah. Yeah, but the problem here is, right, so because obviously I'm in my final year of a psych degree and um, for those of you who don't know, I also run an outpatient rehab program. So we work a lot with um, addicts and people with mental health issues. And here's the thing, though. You cannot expect your brain to go to a higher state of consciousness or create more awareness or any of those sorts of things if it's biochemically unhealthy, right? So, you know, it's like... It's impossible. It's impossible. It is impossible, right? And so... Try. Exactly. Yeah, I get that. So, and this is why, I mean, I don't know about you, but when I suggest meditation to people, there's a lot of resistance and I suspect it's because they've tried it in the past when their actual brain was not healthy. Mm. And then they, they say, Oh, it didn't work for me. Oh, it doesn't work for me. Mindfulness. I'm not that type of person. It's like, well, (laughs) yeah, but were you trying mindfulness when you were taking the contraceptive pill? Because we know that that actually lowers your neurological capacity. Yeah. Were you trying meditation when you were vegan? Because we know that your amino acid profile was poo and your neurotransmitters were not functioning very well. So that like there's a my point is you can't have one without the other. <laughs> you have to be um integrating a good nutritional program, a good lifestyle program, and then alongside that, um supporting that person's higher level of consciousness through things like meditation and journaling. Yeah. It is that. It is what we do. It's the reason why we do what we do because we, we, we understand the fact that it, it's a very holistic approach. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we just addressed one component, there's no chance of healing. There's no chance of feeling better. Um, and, that, and that's sort of to the point that we spoke about earlier. That's where I, I struggle with, even within the wellness industry, you know, because it's all about monotherapies. Yeah. It's like just do meditation just do this nutrition program just do it's like no (laughs) it's all of it you have to integrate all of it 
And that's the, I hate the word holistic because it's so bastardized, but that is at the actual crux of the word. Spiritual, physical, biochemical, emotional, you have to do all of it. Mm. And that's, and that's obviously the, the, the key, well, the major drawback with your regular GP is that like, do they even spend time discuss? They don't have the time. You just told us, you know, five minutes, but they're missing so much. And then yeah. the fact that they, the first thing that they resort to is literally to mask the symptoms. How good are symptoms though? They literally are the best. <laughs> they're the best thing ever. Like it's the body's chance to actually signal that something there's something either really severely out of balance or you are toxic in some way. Yeah, a hundred percent, man. Mm. And like, you know, I was talking to um uh Lauren Curtin actually yesterday. Um and her and I were talking about one of her clients who didn't know that she had like stage four endometriosis until she randomly had a I don't know, something happened and this client just uh, abruptly found out, right? But do you know? And like the most extreme version of this is cancers. But do you know how many red flags your body would have given you before getting that diagnosis? Before stage four endo. endo. Yeah. Oh, she would have had. And you've just ignored every single one of them. (laughs) Or you've gone to your GP and you've band-aided it. Yeah. Like, bro. (laughs) Mm. It's crazy. Yeah. And to your point, symptoms are so beneficial because they, they are our, our little prompter from the body saying, listen, you need to stop what you're doing and pay attention to me. And be honest. And then if you don't, I'm going to keep screaming. And be honest with yourself and actually express that to, to, you know, to the practitioners you work with because we need to know that because that's clues. Yeah. It helps. It helps. Yeah. A lot. But I would say as well, though, a lot of people don't realize they're having symptoms mm, they don't even initially. Have no, like I, mean, I remember years ago, I had a client who um, actually got quite heated at me about telling her not to eat wheat bix for breakfast. And um, she literally used the excuse that they had a five-star health rating. <laughs> um, and I said, well, have you got digestive issues? No, no, I don't have digestive issues. I'm fine when I eat them. And then 20 minutes later, we're talking about something else. And she goes, oh, yeah, i got hemorrhoids. I was like, that's a fucking digestive issue. (laughs) But but people are super disconnected, man. Yeah. They don't even, like, they don't even register that that's the same thing sometimes. Or is it because they don't know or they just, they don't want to know or they haven't been taught? Like, there's a lack of knowledge. or what is it? Yeah, I, I think it's a bit of both. I think it's ignorance and lack of knowledge. Ignorance is bliss. Ignorance is bliss, man. Like, because once you know, you can't unknow. Mm. Mm. Uh, so um, you can challenge it, but you've still heard it. Mm. So um, I just think, yeah, it's a bit of an ignorance is bliss scenario. And then it's also, we're just not provided this information, whether it be, you know, look at men's health because it's relevant probably to this audience on this podcast. But like, do you guys get taught about your erections and your balls and stuff in high school? No. Really? <laughs> do women yeah. get taught 
one three hour one three hour class, but I missed that class. <laughs> <laughs> like, do women get taught about you know the follicular phase and ovulation and the luteal phase and what? No, we don't get taught about that. You know, so I just think it's systemic. It's it's from from day dot that we get um, removed from our own bodies mm. by the system. You know. Because it's all about this God complex. It's like, oh, we're not capable of healing ourselves. I have to seek out someone bigger and more authoritarian than me yeah. because they know my body better than me. They, what? They, they know. Is that, how's that possible? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's ridiculous. Well, it's the story. All right. Well, we'll pretty much, I think we'll, we'll start wrapping it up. We're definitely going to have to do ranted for long enough. (laughs) Yeah. We're definitely going to have to do a follow-up episode, um, in the, in the near future. But yeah, I just wanted to say thanks for coming on today to give my pleasure and share what you've learned. Um, so do you want to let my listeners know a little bit about like where they can find you, if they want to work with you, um, or things that you offer your services, things like that. Yeah, so you can find me at the Women Series, both IG and .com. I basically work with women. You can find me through a subscription model on my website or you can do random consults with me. Um, and I also uh, run an outpatient rehab program called Connection Based Living, which is a um, program facilitated by a guy called Jack Nagel, and he does the limiting belief aspect of addiction recovery, and I obviously do the holistic healthcare aspect. Um, so, if that's something that interests you or your family member, you can find us at Connection Based Living. Awesome. We'll be having um, links to those, everything that Holly just mentioned in the show notes. So, yeah, I just wanted to say thank thanks, you. Amy. Thanks for coming on, Holly. And um, for everyone listening in, thank you for tuning in. Be sure to leave a five-star review and a little comment, review, anything like that. Share the podcast and I look forward. Yes, share away. <laughs> I look forward to the next <laughs> episode. Thank you. See you guys. Thank you, everyone, for joining in to today's episode. For in-depth show notes and lessons learned, visit nofilter.media forward slash boost your biology. This has been a No Filter Media production. Say what you want.